Welcome to Eat Scripture Podcast. It is glad we are really glad to have you back. This is Eric and Gina Robinson. Uh, we are going on in the book of Ruth today as we continue in this podcast. Just want to start by saying uh, we are glad you're here. Be sure and take a look at eatscripture.com sometime and see what else we'll other be putting up things new we have there. Yep. As we get a chance. So yep. it doesn't have a lot on there yet, but it's got some and mm-hmm. it will will continue to put things up. So. Absolutely. And kind of find out what we're about there. If you'd like to donate to the ministry, you can certainly do that uh, through the website as well. So we are really glad to have you. And uh, if you like going into deep Bible Bible study, this is the podcast for you. We are really trying to dig into here and just let the Holy Spirit show us whatever he wants to through the layers of scripture. So as we've walked through the first chapter now of Ruth, we've just kind of looked at a few things and saw the way things are setting up and watched as Ruth uh, is now very much loyal to Naomi, uh, who is an Israelite. Ruth is a Moabitess, even though now all the men in the family have died and it seems like these ladies are in great peril in their current circumstance. They are connected to one another. Ruth refuses not to be connected to Naomi. And so they have returned to their homeland, to the promised land, specifically to Bethlehem, the house of bread, where God has now once again uh, caused a famine to cease and restored his people to some of the some of the previous uh, experiences that they've had. Now they've got some food again Mm -hmm. and they're starting to be established again. And Naomi and Ruth are back in town, as it were. Naomi uh, has been recognized for who she was before, but she's already telling people, don't call me by that name, Naomi, anymore, because that name means pleasant. And I should just be known as Mara, as bitter, a bitter woman, mm-hmm. because God has put a heavy hand on me and has brought great calamity upon me. And so that's how she's viewing her whole life. And they've returned to town during the harvest of barley during yeah. that season. And again, I mean, we realized that these are two widows yep. who are coming back into a land where they have no, even though it is Naomi's homeland, they have no way to make a living. Right. And so it's still a desperate situation. Very, very. So. Yep. The widows of the Old Testament were in desperate straits um, because without a patriarch without a man in the family, there was very little recourse for a lady as far as how in the world she was going to make it through life. So God does make a big deal out of that, even in the law about making sure that the widow and the orphan are cared for. But ideally, it's good to have a husband or a son uh, who can really take the lead, provide, uh, make a life for the ladies. And so we have, like Gina said, two widows here who have no men in their life to really provide for them. So they are in a they're in a bad place. And that's what we need to see. That's this feels really rough right now. Okay. So, so now we're entering into actually when we talk about the literary structure, we'll see we're entering into a middle section here. Yes. Which means there's really important all of it's important, but there's some really 
important stuff in here, some turning points. Yeah, turning points. Uh, Everything's really going to revolve around what we're going to see in chapter two. Right. Things in, and and we're taking we're kind of taking this from David Dorsey's uh, literary structure. David Dorsey's kind of, in my mind, very much the pinnacle of literary structure uh, and understanding it in the Old Testament. Certainly wouldn't say he gets everything right, but in his book. The literary yeah, you can structure see things a different way. Yes. Like, you know, often we'll we will do some study, find a literary structure somewhere, and then we'll come to David Dorsey and his may be just slightly different. Yeah. But they're still both very legitimate. Yes. And uh, just the beauty of how the words are written is amazing. Yes, so. absolutely. So yeah, um, we're just getting this uh, the one that we're going by right now is David Dorsey's understanding of the structure of the entirety of the book of Ruth. So how things are laid out and he sees the middle being chapter two. That's really where the middle takes place and we'll explain why. Yeah. We'll talk more about that. We may even take just a week to talk about the literary structure or at least one of the podcasts to talk about the literary structure of this book. But for right now, let's just go through and yeah, just remember we're getting to a crucial time. Uh, as we're reading through chapter two, this is crucial stuff. So we'll start with uh, chapter two, maybe verses one through seven. Talk a little bit about those and then we'll go on. Does that okay. sound okay? Okay. All I'm right. to read that. Yeah, that'd be great. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was a clansman of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young men, who were in charge of the reapers, his young man that was in charge of the reapers. Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Hmm. Okay, so... Here they are. Here Boaz is. We're introduced to him for the first time. and But we find out right away that he is a worthy man. He is a worthy man. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal to us. We're, right as we're introduced to him, we hear good things about him. We're hearing about his character yep. already. Yep. His name means strength or by strength mm-hmm. in strength. Yep. So he... Uh, for kind whatever that means, positive, I think we'll see that. Positive that... sounding, though, for sure. Yes. Yeah. And we find out also that he's of the clan of Elimelech. Now, this ties us back to something that we said last time. This whole book is revolving around this idea of leveret marriage. It would be have to do with the idea that if a woman's husband dies, a man who is closest in relation, in blood relation to him, should be the one to step forward to marry the woman and to make sure she's cared for during her life. And even hopefully provide a son for her who can then take over his father's land and continue 
to, you know, be a viable part of society and really help the family flourish. That's the hope anyway. So when we hear immediately that he's of the clan of Elimelech, we're like, hey, wait a second. Could this be somebody who might step in, mm-hmm. help out at this point? And so, so we can't help but wonder if that's exactly what's going on. And so we're, now we're, we're watching closely. And whenever Ruth uh, said to Naomi, I'm going to go and glean some out of the field, some of the grain, then Naomi told her, absolutely, go. She's going to get some of those leftovers that are left for the um, poor together Mm -hmm. and so she she's willing to go work and go do this so that she can provide some food for she and Naomi yep now we did say uh, last time at the end that there are a few places in the law that talk about how when you're harvesting your field you are not to harvest every single bit of it Mm -hmm. Um, you're not to go back again and again make sure you picked up all the pieces everything like that there to be left there so just to go to one of those right now in deuteronomy 24 verses 19 through 21 this is one of the places that makes it very clear deuteronomy 24 19 says when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field you shall not go back and get it It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go back over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Yes. So, sure enough, God has written into his law that widows can go to the fields after the harvest and that it specifically tells the owners of the fields, do not harvest every bit of it because you're leaving some behind for those who've been in a position like you've been in before. So, very important, and that's what they're going by. This is the recourse of the widow right now is to be able to go through the fields and glean. So, Ruth and Naomi are very much within uh, the understanding of society and they need good men, worthy men uh, who own (laughs) fields like Boaz, who are going to live by God's law and make sure that they do provide for those who are lesser than them. So that's sure enough, that's where she finds herself. It's in this field that Boaz spots her in verse five. He doesn't know who she is. And so he asks his servant, who's that? widow or girl or woman out there and the servant uh, then answers him and tells him who it is and so sure enough uh, Boaz is seems to be somewhat impressed by her so we're about to find that out as we go forward in verse 8 do you want to read this for us again Sure. we'll go from verse 8 to verse 13 okay then Boaz said to Ruth Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, 
Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Wow. Big, big stuff happening here. This is actually the middle of the middle, according yeah. to Dorsey, what we just read. This verse is, eight this is the 13. good step. Yep. <laughs> this is the where they really, they meet for the first time. Things turn at this moment. This is going to set our story on a completely different t- trajectory because now Ruth and Boaz have met and their well, meeting seems yes. to go very well. And the trajectory of Ruth and Naomi's life Yes. Is changing right here. Yes. This is where it starts to change. Up until now, it's been all sorrow and sad and tragic. Yes. And now something is about to happen and we are getting a little, this is just the turning point. This mm-hmm. is something is changing. Yes, absolutely. She's found favor in Boaz's eyes. Mm-hmm. And she's so grateful. So she is, yes, so grateful, uh, and she wants to be in this field, and she does get received well, and Boaz seems to have good feelings for her. As a matter of fact, that's what he says. He's already protecting and taking care of her because he's making sure that he's told no one to touch her. Yep. He's made sure she's going to be able to get water as she's out there working, and be able to glean and be treated well. Yes. As a matter of fact, he seems to have, Boaz seems to have this contingent of ladies who already go through his fields and he wants her to be a part of them. So seems to indicate that he's already making sure he's taking care of certain ladies who need to be taken care of already. He says in verse eight, to keep close to my young women. So what, what exactly he means by that could be debated a little bit, but the fact is it sounds like he's making sure that there are ladies who need taken care of, that they are being taken care of that already. they're women in need. and Yep. Yes. And so he wants her to be sure and be in this protected uh, area with these ladies, and you'll be sure to get food if you'll just uh, stay close. So he wants, he's very much about doing the right thing by these ladies. Um, so... As we go through the rest of this paragraph, we find, you know, we find her fell, falling on her face, bowing down to him, uh, and so pleased that she's found favor in his eyes, even though she's a foreigner. Really, almost surprised. How in the world uh, is that happening? I'm, I'm just a foreigner, and you're treating me so well. But it's because he's heard, he says in verse 11, that all that she's done for her mother-in-law since the death of her husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Willingness to leave father and mother even to come and be associated with this people, that kind of, kind of brings something to mind. Kind of like... Uh... 
a New Testament story. Yeah, almost. <laughs> Several New Testament stories, actually, huh. where uh, people are being encouraged to leave. Even the closest even the relationships. Closest family yeah. members to follow Jesus. Yeah. And, or we could even go back to Genesis chapter 2 and see whenever God created people to be married. Uh, in verse two, in chapter two, verse twenty-four, it says, "A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." So here she's leaving her father and mother. It says behind even so the closest relationships in life you're leaving in order to be attached to this Israelite widow. So Boaz is extremely impressed with that, and then he pronounces this blessing, and says. Lord, repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, that's a word that's going to come up again yes, later on. That's the idea of taking refuge under wings is going to come up again. So we'll, we'll we will be sure and take a look at that when we get when we get there. But the fact that it's coming out of Boaz's mouth here, and then how it plays out later on, all is going to come together for us. So she uh, responds at the end, of course, with this uh, that she's so grateful to have found favor in his eyes, and that she's been comforted by him. Uh, and even though she is not technically of the people of Israel, even though she's not technically one of his servants, even from an enemy land. Yep. A Gentile from an enemy land. Exactly. Exactly. She is a Moabitess. Like we've said before, I mean, that, that just uh, screams to the reader that strange things are happening here. This is unlike what we've, we haven't known Moabites like this before Mm -hmm. because they've, they've actually had to do battle with Moabites. The last thing we heard about (laughs) Moabites, uh, was back in Judges chapter three and Ehud was one of the judges who was raised up to actually free the people from they, from their servitude to Moab. Eglon was the king and he forced Israelites into servitude for 18 years before Ehud was raised up and actually threw off the yoke of Eglon. And we have that lovely story of Eglon. Yeah. (laughs) Just go back and read that yourself. We're not going (laughs) to go into that here. I think we have already done a podcast talking about that, but yeah. uh, So yeah. Just the fact, just that, that ugly story is in your mind. If you're uh, an Israelite reader, wow, Moab is not a great place. And you certainly wouldn't want to be there. You know, we could also go back into numbers and talk about Balak and how he was king of Moab also and all the ugliness that went on there. And so just lots of stuff that is all packed in there. And then I look at this Moabitess and I see how wonderful she is. I see how attached she is to God's people and how much she wants to do right by God's people. Mm -hmm. And she's being nothing, receiving nothing but blessing from this good man, Boaz, who has come into her presence. All of this is is a beautiful part of the story. So like we said, huge turning point happening here because they've met now and it's obvious that Boaz has great favor toward her. Yes. He sees her. Yeah. Yeah. So good, good place to be. Um, and, and we're, we can move on into verse 14 through 16 here just for a second, as we watch, as this little relationship continues to grow a little bit. 
Verse 14, And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from her from the bundles for her to leave it, and for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So even from the stuff that's already been bundled up and harvested, I want you to grab a couple of handfuls of that and be sure and drop it behind you because that should be for her. She should get to pick that up. So he's going out of his way to make sure that this girl gets more than enough. And I wonder how common it was for the owner of the land to ask one of these young ladies to come eat with them. Yes, right. You know, I'm sure that they got something to eat probably, but maybe not, but... Um, but it's certainly going out of the text is certainly going out of its way to tell us that she is invited to come and eat with the owner of the land. Uh, and that's a big deal. Yes. So she's sitting down at mealtime with Boaz and sharing this of all things. <laughs> bread and wine. Yeah. Bread and wine. <laughs> bread and wine. So the widow, this younger Gentile widow is getting to share a meal of bread and wine with the owner of the field who seems to be the one holding all the cards here mm-hmm. the one with the one with great wealth the one with uh wherewithal and servants and ability and he's the one who has invited the widow into his presence to share bread and wine after they've met she eats until she's satisfied and then there's some left over yes that kind of sounds familiar. <laughs> Does anybody, do you remember what that well, sounds like? It sounds like the feeding of the 5,000 or the 4,000. Uh-huh. Either one, there were, they ate until they yeah. were satisfied and there was still basketfuls left yes. over. Um, so. Absolutely. That's what happened. It says that, <clears throat> that everybody ate until they were satisfied. Like even in Mark chapter 7. Uh, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6, verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied, but then they have all these leftovers too that they're still picking up. So that's the same kind of thing that we have happening here. Um, She's getting to eat this bread and wine along with Boaz, and then she's satisfied and there's still some leftover. So really kind of, again, alluding to bigger things uh, that are being told in this story seems like than just the surface of the story. So beautifully woven, beautifully put together, but certainly bigger than it would appear to be on the surface. Gina and I are very big proponents of the fact that Jesus wasn't kidding when he said that all of the scriptures are about him. All of them are about him. Uh, And so when we go to places like Luke chapter 24, 27, we realize that he's not just, it's, it's not just a nice flowery way of saying once in a while in your old Testament, you'll see a little note about me. It has to do with the fact that he really is woven into everything. His story is woven into everything. So that when it tells us that he spoke to them uh, and showed him himself in Moses and the prophets and all the scriptures, that it really does mean 
all the scriptures. And so we can come to a place like Ruth and fully expect that we will see his story in some way woven into this too. Yeah. Now, of, course, gonna, of course, we're going to talk about that some more yep. as we go forward. We're hoping that you're already seeing that in some yep. of this, but uh, just watch. You're going to see you, it will start to come out and you'll start going, oh. Yeah. And, and on that note, I think maybe we'll um, just finish up our time here talking about a little bit, just say a few things about the fact that these two widows are together here, are now bound completely, it seems like. There's no way they're getting away from each other. Ruth won't allow it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Naomi and Ruth now have lives that are intertwined in their widowhood and their loyalty to one another. There's an older woman who can't produce any more children. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then there's a younger woman who could, but she has no husband to help her do it. So I have an older woman who used to have a husband, but now doesn't. And she's too old, it seems, to be producing children anymore. And then I have a younger woman who doesn't have a husband. And she's a Gentile, but she's completely connected to the older woman. And so these two are living lives alongside one another. And the young woman has decided she's completely tied to the older woman, but both of them are still in need. But the fact is, now I'm getting a picture that is not unlike other pictures I've seen even before this in Scripture. And then after this, we'll see others too. And that is where there are two women tied together by circumstances in life. And, and we're going to watch as these two ladies live life alongside one another and then have uh, an experience that draws them both into a better life or at least uh, at least an experience with God that that binds their life together and provides for both of them in a way that shows that God has love for both of them even though there's generally speaking almost always we see uh, his real heart. We see someone in the story, a, a husband figure, whose real heart is given over to the more beautiful, the one who came second, the one who came last, uh, that that's the one that he is really, really bound to, but that he's certainly still going to provide for both the ladies whose lives are completely mm -hmm. intertwined. So that happens over and over and over again in scripture and so it would be no surprise that we would see it happening here we have an israelite an old israelite woman who can't produce kids and then we have a young gentile woman who is husbandless but could still very potentially, much in her childbearing years yep could potentially produce many children maybe even but she doesn't have a husband so Y'all need to kind of consider this as we're walking through scripture because it is something typologically that we see again and again and again in scripture. It's a typological theme. Yes, absolutely. And why would it be is our question. We have to ask, you know, okay, if this is happening again and again and again, then what is it that scripture is trying to tell me about the fact that two ladies like Sarah and Hagar or like Leah and Rachel, or like, like, um, well, 
nothing else has come to mind right off. Why not? Um, but all of these ladies uh, are tied together. And then later on, we can see that they come into contact with somebody who is able to provide for both of them. And they're telling a story that's much bigger than just what's happening to them in their life uh, right here. Mm-hmm. So we watch this happen in Ruth and Naomi, and we see that one of them is Israelite and the younger one's Gentile. And then we see that the Gentile comes into contact with this man who wants to take her in, make sure that she's provided for, make sure that she has all she needs, gives her bread and wine. All of this starts playing on our heads as Christian believers and readers of the story. And we start seeing a much bigger picture than we had seen before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Be- I mean, I don't, I won't well, give it away what we're talking about if you don't want me to, but, um, well, we kind of are already probably, but I think just talking say. about Israel mm-hmm. and then of course the church yeah. and so how that we are two brides yeah. who, um, have been bound together. Yes. We're bound together and we're producing offspring yeah. and Israel can no longer do that, but we are now the bride who will, but we're giving that first bride children as well. Yes. Through us. So yes. as we go through Ruth, we'll see that even clearer, but um, yeah, we'll go, we'll keep watching this develop. Right. So we're going to have to do some more of this developing next time, uh, but keep reading in Ruth chapter two, verse 17 following, and we'll start digging these pieces out as we keep going. Remember eatscripture.com. You can go there, get other resources too. look for things there. And uh, you can also support the ministry and then our podcast, just keep following that. And we will keep talking to you about these great things, these pieces of scripture. So hope you're having a great week. God See bless you, you all. Time. See ya. Bye. Thank you.